So let's turn this on. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here as we're continuing to study Paul's letter to the Colossians. So if you open your Bibles to chapter 1, verse 10, for those of you who have not been here for this study, we are probably about four weeks into discussing verse 10. And there is a very significant reason for this. When I first began to hopefully be led by the Holy Spirit to do Colossians, which I did not have on my mind, I had a totally different letter on my mind. And then I felt the Lord say, Colossians. Colossians. And then I said, oh yeah, what about Colossians? And so began to look at it, began to put class notes, material together, and came to this verse. My personal inclination was to talk about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to God, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. Okay, going to mention a few little things about that and move along. And so as I got into the issue of a worthy walk, this is where we live. We were saved in order to proclaim the glories of God. We were saved in order to be the living image of the Creator. Remember in Genesis 1.26. And that ability to be imaging God, to be effectively and correctly and compellingly and consistently demonstrating His glory occurs in these words, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. And so for several weeks we have been discussing what are some, not all, but some of the salient issues of our worthy walk. And so this morning, we're continuing in that. And you remember last week we discussed fully pleasing to God. If you look at your Bible, you will see walking worthy of the Lord, comma, fully pleasing to God. And then we discussed bearing fruit and we discussed the knowledge of God. But we went into detail about fully pleasing to God. Remember this, we said this, that God is fully pleased with us in two areas his pleasing is demonstrated and communicated to us. Basically and primarily and most of all, the reason for God's pleasure over us is because we are in His Son. God's pleasure over us is a positional pleasure. He is pleased with His Son, therefore He is pleased with us because we are in Christ. And you remember last week, God loves us, and this is a, an issue that I still wrestle with, not in an unbelieving way, but in a, an understanding, trying to get my mind and experience around this by the Holy Spirit. God loves us with the same love that he loves his own son, John 17, 26, that the love that you have for me may be in them, and I am in them. Now, if anything should blow you away, that should blow you away. If ever there is a single time in your life, for whatever reason it is, 
It doesn't matter what the reason is. If you are in Christ, you should never, ever have an issue with not being loved. Not by things of this world, but by the only one who counts, if you would. Because this is an eternal, unfading, everlasting, comprehensive, all-embracing love of God for his people. So God is pleased with us because we're his kids. But then there is the other side of this that God's pleasure with us has to do with our walk. Now, how many of you have sons? You know, I, I like that, you see. All of a sudden, you started blurting out how pleased you are with those two boys. How many boys do you have? Four boys. He's fully pleased with them. Why? Because they're yours. Right? But do they ever do things that don't please you? I mean, can four boys live together in one location and do things that don't please the mom and them? By the way, in New Orleans, mom and them means the parents and other people. Mom and them. So that's the same with us. God is not always pleased with us. So be careful. When we are not walking worthy, do not say, oh, but I know God is pleased with me. Don't say that. Make sure you distinguish. Although God is pleased with me as his adopted forever child, God is not pleased with my practice, position and practice. Remember, we talked about that last time. And so this morning, we're going to look at the way God communicates his pleasure. There is a specific way that God communicates his pleasure. How many of us would be okay with this question or comment? I want God to reward me. How many of us are okay with that? I want God to reward me, okay? How many of us would be okay with this? I'm gonna pick on you this morning. What's your name? Kendall? One of the names of one of your kids. Uh, okay, uh. Now, uh, how old is uh? <laughs> He's not very old, I can tell you. <laughs> I like uh. You'd be great. Could you come back to this church? You're good material. I like you. Are you also from New York City? It shows. Where are you from? Mi Mississippi. Where in Mississippi? Brook. Oh, my goodness. Wait a minute. I, may I take a little more time this morning than I normally get? <laughs> Brookhaven, Hazelhurst. In 1956, probably, seven, I was at Chamberlain Hunt Academy in Port Gibson, Mississippi, and I was in the band, and I played what they, I don't call it played, but some kind of way I did something on the clarinet. It was... In the middle of December, now if you're a clarinet player, you know that you can't play a clarinet with gloves on. Those of you who know clarinet know that. You'll have to ask someone about reed instruments. We were marching down the main street in Brookhaven, which is about a block and a half. It was rainy and about 35 degrees. I almost froze to death in Brookhaven, Mississippi. That's before you were born, I'm sure. So, uh... 
What's your son's name? Ezekiel. Okay, I've never heard that name before. Z? Okay, Zeke. Okay, Ezekiel. Should Ezekiel want and expect to be rewarded by his father? Would you say that's a bad desire? I want to have my father's rewards. How many of you would say that's a long desire? And yet when it comes to God, we disfather him by saying something else. Why do we want to receive rewards from our parents? Why do parents want to reward us? Why? Because we're in the image of our God and our Father. So think of it that way. So let me ask the question secondly. How many of us would, understanding the biblical motive correctly and all that, would say it's good for us to say, I expect and I want rewards from God? Absolutely. Because if Ezekiel came to you and says, Dad, I don't want you to give me anything. I don't want any rewards. Your heart is robbed of a greater glory of giving him the present and the reward and the joy that you will have. He has just taken it out of your hand. And we don't want to be like that. So let's this morning talk a little bit about rewards. And we're going to break it up this morning. Rewards for position and rewards for practice. Next week, y'all have to come back for the second half of this. So let's this morning look at how God's pleasure is communicated to us. So again, let me ask you as parents and grandparents, when we are pleased with the practice of our children, I'm giving you the position. That's a given. Everybody gets that. But the practice is where we wrestle with this issue. And your child has just done something that pleases you. How many of us parents or grandparents are prone to give a reward? Come on, how many of us are prone to give something? Why? As a demonstration of my pleasure. Here, have this. My grandson went off to New London, Connecticut because he's considering going into the Ghost Card Academy next, semester, uh, next year after graduating. And so he went up there for that, that camp or whatever they call it for a week. And so as he was leaving, I expressed to him very, in a short way, uh, this isn't going to be a typical gathering. This is military. Military, you don't do things like that. So I can't give you, you know, the normal spending money because they're not going to let you, you're not going to, but here's a little money and you can buy some Snickers or whatever in the airport, you know. Why did I do that? Because you see, my grandson only not only pleases me because he is my grandson, but because he pleases me through his activities as a grandson. And I am overjoyed to continue, not only give him, but the granddaughters uh, also, to continue, to continue, and continue to give into their hands. I love it. I love giving to my grandchildren. Where do I get that from, Steve? A God who loves giving to his children. So let's see what Hebrews 11:6 6 says. Let's see what the Bible says about this. For without faith, now remember, quickly, faith 
has to do with our worthy walk. It is a walk of faith. It is a work of faith. So faith and walk go together. Some of you may have read James. Faith and work go together. For without faith, what? It is, what word does he use? I, I didn't hear you. It is what? Impossible to please God. Why? Because those who come to him must believe what? That he is, that he exists. And secondly, they must believe that he rewards them who come to him. That he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So let's, let's make sure we get both sides of this. Faith says God is real and I submit to him, I receive him, I walk with him in obedience. And secondly, God connects the issue of rewards with his own pleasing, with, his, with walking with him. God wants us to know, I am a God of rewards. So there's an incentive. What is the incentive of coming to God? What is the incentive of coming to God? To be rewarded. How many of you believe it's a good thing to want to be rewarded to come to God? How many of us were saved when we had faith? How many of us were saved through grace by faith? Weren't we saved? Well, what was the reward of your faith? Salvation. God, if you would, rewarded you. He gifted you for the gift of God is eternal life. It's a reward. It's a gift. So we started in this looking for a reward. We received Jesus because we were looking for something. We were looking for something. And we may not have understood it fully, but we were looking for something. Because without looking for something, we had no faith and we were not being saved. But then God touched us on the inside and with the work of grace caused me to begin to look outside of myself and away from this thing that I call myself and my ways and my whatever and the culture, looking somewhere else for something that was better than what I had. Amen? This is a gift. It's a reward. In this verse, we see that God communicates his pleasure over our faith through rewards. This means that God's rewards are given to us according to our walking worthy. By our walk or work of faith, our good deeds of faith-filled obedience. And so faith-filled obedience produces rewards from God. God rewards those who do good deeds. Now remember how we define good. The word good we define within the context of being righteous deeds or godly deeds. Those deeds that are produced in me as I am cooperative with the Holy Spirit by faith. That I am taking a hold of the deeds that he is leading me to do. The walk that he is leading me. And I am by faith cooperating, obeying walking in him and with him that's good deeds these are not deeds to get a reward these are deeds as a result of having received the reward of Christ and God will reward these so look at a reward what does a reward mean Oxford University Dictionary defines a reward as a thing given in recognition of a service effort or achievement now, did you notice what word is said there? Given. 
It doesn't say earned. But next week, I want to talk about that word earned because I think what happens in us when we use, we can't earn rewards, I think we have to make sure we're defining our terms to be clear of what do we mean by earn and what does the Bible mean by earn and differentiate my personal meritorious ability because of how good I am intrinsically as a person. No, but there is a place of meritorious obedience that God honors, and we'll have to wait to next week to look at that. Now, you'll remember that God's pleasure over us is a result of two truths. Remember? His pleasure over us as his adopted children, our position, and as our faith-filled, obedient children over our practice. So, let's look at a little bit about the reward of position as we go through here. We first find that God reward is on, rewards on the basis of sonship. And we see that account given to Abraham we first find that God's great reward is a result of a position. It is a positional reward. And we see that in Genesis with the account of Abraham. Now, you remember who Abraham is? Abraham is the progenitor, the one who begins, if you would, the nation of Israel. He's called the father of the faithful. He is the preeminent example in the Old Testament in which the New Testament references four different times that Abraham faithed God, believed God. It's the same word, pistis, it's faith, believing, trusting, obeying. Abraham believed God, and as a result, what? It was credited to him as righteousness. Now, who is righteous? God alone. Who is righteous in here? How many of us are righteous? All of us are if we're in Christ. Ah, you see, you see, you're thinking wrongly if you had, I didn't say who, all of, how many of us always practice righteousness, but if you are in Christ, are you righteous? Has God declared you as his forgiven, justified, adopted, and righteous children? Yes or no? Therefore, in Christ, I am the righteousness of God forever. Aren't you? Aren't you? Yes. Now, I may not always live it. My wife will tell you that there are twice in the 46 years we've been married that I didn't live righteously. But, and she didn't catch the third time. No, that's how that works. He's the example of what it is to be a man of faith. So let's look at the quintessential context and the kernel that God is getting after in this righteousness that is given to Abraham through faith. You know, in the New Testament, it's called the faithful all believe. I already said that, Romans 4.11. So how did Abraham become an Old Testament, exa Old Testament example? How did this happen? Well, let's remember what Genesis 12 says. The first seven verses of Genesis 12, I'll just read them to you. I don't think you have them in your notes. If you do, I'm sorry, if you don't, you may look to Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, and I'm going to skip from verse end of verse 3 all the way to 7 because I'm trying to accentuate one issue here. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great. 
so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 7, to your offspring or to your seed, I will give this land. So what happened? God called Abraham by promising him something. Go here, go over there, and if you do, you're going to get something. Do you see that from these verses? God never calls us without giving a reward as part of our obedience. He doesn't say, go to your land because I'm God Almighty and you better obey me. That's how we do to our children and it's wrong, except in some circumstances narrowly understood. God comes and he knows our weakness. He knows our frailty. He knows our need. And God knows that we are a people who need to be motivated to move. And that motivation of God is promising the reward a blessing. If you receive Jesus, this is what's going to happen, and this is what's going to happen, and this is what. How many of us have ever shared the gospel telling people the good things of the gospel? Now, we leave out some of the other issues you're going to suffer and whatever, but, and we should put them all in there. I understand that sometimes, and I don't think we, most of us do that, but we share what they're going to get. You see, God never presents himself, and I've heard this, we're to worship God for who he is and not for what he does. Are you kidding? Who in here knows God apart from what he's done in you? Who in here knows God apart from experiencing something he's done? Anybody? So we worship God because he has revealed who he is through what he's done for us, through the reward that he's given to us. Isn't that right, Frank? So let's not shy away from rewards. Because the problem is we think if we talk about rewards, we're going to get into the flesh. Well, let's do it biblically and let's do it correctly, but let's do it. Because rewards is a monumental motive. So look what he tells Abraham. If you leave, I'm going to give you some land. I'm going to bless you. You're going to have some kids, you know, nations and all of that. Look at what he's blessing. He's saying, I will seven different times. God called Abraham, and what was the central blessing that Abraham was to receive? Remember, at this point, Abraham and Sarah don't have any kids. And his name actually is Abram, Abram but whatever. And uh, what is the central blessing? Wow, we're going to get a land. No. Man, we're going to get some money. No. We have a new house. No, Abraham didn't care about those things for the most part. All the blessings that God was promising Abraham were contained in one blessing. What was it? Abraham, you will have a son. Do you see where your word says either offspring or seed? I'd rather the word seed. The reason I like seed is because it goes back to Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. But that's just me. Everything that God is promising Abraham, every reward, 
is contained in and is the result of and is the outworking from one reward, a son. Why did God call it Abraham? God's sovereign and free will. God's sovereign and free will. And how did Abraham become the Old Testament example of sonship through faith? Remember Hebrews 11.8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. A worthy walk. He obeyed a worthy walk. This isn't something he received unconditionally. He received it conditionally through his walk. Abraham didn't say, well, if God wants to save me, he'll save me. If God wants to use me, he'll use me. No. There's our part in this. And Abraham's receiving of faith is translated through his worthy walk, through his obedience. So what does 11.8 of Hebrews say? Abraham obeyed God when he was called out into a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. What is an inheritance? Something you're going to get because you're related to somebody or because someone likes you. Is that right? I mean, Bill Treby's an attorney. Is that close to something? Uh, he doesn't like that terminology. He'll never hold up in court, I'm sure. Something you're going to get as a reward of relationship and may even have to do with reward of practice. It's a reward. We leave inheritance. We receive or get inheritance. So he says, to the place that he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out, verse 9, by faith he went to live in the land of promise. You see, a reward, promise. I'm going to give you something. You're going to get something. Promise. I give you something. It wasn't just a promise. I am with you. That promise, I am with you, was translated into tangible realities in their lives. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, verse 10. For he was looking forward to a city that had foundations, whose author and builder is God. He was looking forward to what? A city. He was looking forward to a reward. Now you see, hopefully, if we haven't been seeing this, this is going to change our perspective of serving God. We should want to be rewarded by God. Any son or daughter who does not want his parents' reward has missed a huge ability for his parents to convey his pleasure and his love. Isn't that right? A huge ability. A huge ability. Abraham's obedience was a visible proof of that inward change of heart by faith that God was pleased to reward. James 2, 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Would we say justification by works is biblical? We would say no, but the Bible doesn't say no. The Bible says yes. Why? Because we have to define our terms. We are justified by the works of one man, Jesus Christ. 
we are justified on the basis of the meritorious work of a man. Not by my personal moral merit. So we are justified by works, but we also are justified as we walk, as we obey, because the obedience, the activity of my work, these righteous activities in me proves that faith is alive and well in me. Do you see that? So we cannot biblically disassociate faith and work. We must connect them together. But when we share them and we talk about them and we think about them and we try to understand them, we have to make sure that our terms are clearly biblically defined and differentiated from the world's terminology. You see, verse 22, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, and here's one of the places, the four places in the Bible where the Bible approbates uh, Abraham's faith. And Abraham believed God. He faithed God, and it was credited to him or counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. He is justified by faith slash works. Or he is justified by works of faith if you want to be inclusive. So if you want to include what James says in chapter 2 along with what, um, what's that man's name, Paul says in Romans, you put the two together and you come out with it the right way. Paul was emphasizing an aspect of faith and James is emphasizing another aspect or the other part, if you would, of faith. But both of these have said the same thing, but he condenses it here. So some years later, years later, Abraham's been promised a son. Years later, the Lord appears to Abraham in Genesis 15, 1 through 6. And he says, Abraham, don't be afraid. I am your shield. Remember the shield of faith in Ephesians 6, 16? I am your shield. What is the shield of faith? The very presence and work of our God. He is the one deflects all the flaming arrows of the enemy as we call upon him. But that's another story. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, oh, Lord, what will you give me? Oh, Abraham, that's idolatry. No, it is not if it's looking to God himself as the source and the giver of the reward. It is not idolatry. If it has to do with the activity of God's grace being received into my life so the activity and the revelation of his grace may be accentuated and enlarged and empowered in my life, that is not an idol. What will you give me? I continue without a child. I ain't got no son, no heir. And the heir to my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no son. I'm just terminating son, offspring, seed. And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look to the heavens. Remember? And Abraham looked up. He said, You don't think I can do it? Look outside. Go outside and look at the myriad of stars. And Abraham looked up. And he says, oh, I believe God. 
He looked at the creation. And what does the Lord say in verse 6? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Listen to what Paul says, the commentary in Romans 4, which is a commentary of Abraham's faith that Paul has been discussing coming forward from verse 116 for the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? Declaration of the righteousness of God for everyone who has faith. Remember that verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. So Paul is moving forward now using Abraham as the example. And he says this, Romans 4.13, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through a law but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherence of the law, you know, those who do moral good works in themselves in order to merit something of God, the adherence of the law who are to be heirs of faith, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but there is no law where there is no, for there is no law. Let me try to say this the right way. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring. Do you see this promise of rewards is a grace-gifted, filled, given promise. And then he continues to talk about Abraham was not weak in faith, so let me continue, and you can look at that verse later. By faith, Abraham understood that all of God's promises to bless him, to reward him, were the result and contained in one promise. What was that one promise? A son. What was Abraham promising Abraham? What was God promising Abraham when he promised to bless him with his son? He was promising to bring Christ. You remember Galatians 3.16? Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his seed. It does not say, and to seeds, <clears throat> referring to many, but referring to one, and to your seed who is Christ. So when Abraham, God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a son. What was God saying? that all the blessings that he will give to his people, all the rewards that his people would receive from God through faith are contained in and the result of God's own son. Do we see that? Abraham is the Old Testament prefiguring or foreshadowing of what God would do in reality. The shadow, a type. I'm just kind of giving you some examples. But then one day, the reality comes that in God's Son is contained every promise and every reward that God would have for his people. And so what is God preeminently promising Abraham and preeminently promising everyone who believes? You will be sonned, S-O-N-E-D. You will be in son. You will be baptized, placed in to my son. You see, the first issue of rewards is a positional issue. And if we don't see that firstly, we're going to miss the second and understanding and walking in it the right way. So God's great reward is that they had the son. Remember 1 John 5, 12? The person who has the son has what? The life. The person who does not have the son does not have the life. This means that God's great reward of the faith of his people is having his son. Now, what are some of these 
blessing because you see in his son is contained everything of God himself and everything that God will give us of himself and from himself we got that in the son is contained everything of God himself and everything that he will give of himself and from himself to us so let's not again disassociate it from practical livable tangible seeable activities of faith in us so what are some of these blessings the blessing of eternal life remember this from John 17 remember Jesus prayer before he goes to the cross verses 1 to 3 when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give, you see it? Give. Grace, giving, blessing, promise, rewards. Maybe we have not associated rewards with grace. But grace is the activity of God out of his own goodness, never according to our personal merit, but always based in the merit of his own son for those who were in his son to give rewards. That you may give him authority over flesh, to give that he may give, give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you who alone are truly God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So what is the, what are some of the great blessings? What are some of the rewards that we have in Christ? Eternal life. How many of you consider that as a reward? You know, we would have said blessing, but in the beginning of the class, we may not have said that as a reward. It's a reward of our faith. It is promised to us. It is given to us. You didn't see, not earned but given grace given not merit earned merit on our part merit earned on the part of Christ but we were in him when he was earning the merit forgiveness Romans 3 22 for the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. I'm sorry righteousness I should have probably put we are declared righteous justification what is justified mean do you remember what justification is a forensic legal term and what does it mean it doesn't mean innocent innocent means no sin there's only one man who's ever been innocent who is that Jesus Christ but we are treated as if we have always and always will be innocent because God has forgiven our sin and has declared us to be without sin to be as if we had never sinned when we stand before him it is a forensic declaration of a legal decision that God the righteous judge can make why because our sins have been paid for in Christ and where were we when Jesus died where were you in Christ what is the proof text of that Galatians 2.20, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. 
We are a justified people. We are never innocent, but always considered to be innocent. Therefore, because we are in this one and only innocent man who took upon himself our own guilt and going to the cross as if he had personally committed the sin, having never done so, God punishes him with the punishment that we desire, deserve, the wrath of God. And so in him, my sin was placed upon him and punished in him. And so when he died in John 19, 30, he gathered up his breath and in a loud voice said what? It is finished or accomplished or paid for fully, finally, and forevermore. You see? That's something of what we have as a gift from God. That is a reward of us saying yes to Jesus. What a reward. Adoption as sons. Born into the world as sons of Satan. Children of disobedience. Children of wrath. You see that in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. But now we're adopted because of the forgiveness of God opens the door wide to adoption. God is not adopting unforgiven kids. He is adopting those who have been forgiven and been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. You see? He adopts you after he forgives you. Adoption. Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us for adoption, I'm sorry, as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. We are partakers of the divine nature. Partakers. Koinonia. Fellow shepherds together in the divine nature. Or kinonia for the Greek man over there. Second Peter 1, 3 through 4. Listen to this. His divine power has granted to us, to the children of God, those who have been adopted, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Knowledge, remember that personal knowledge? Uh, 17, 3 of John for they, this is eternal life, that they may know you, have that personal relationship of adoption God, of him who called us into his own glory and excellence by which he granted to us, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, the rewards, the promises, the promises that he gave to Abraham are now ours by faith so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5. For the love of God has been, what, poured out or shut abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have the gifts of the Spirit. To each, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, has been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We are a gifted people, gifted by God through the Spirit. Well, here's the righteousness again, so I must have done that twice. Because we are in Christ, because we have the Son, and because He has us, the whole issue of pleasing and promising and walking has to do with one great truth, our position in Christ, our union with or in Christ is the great glory of God for which the word Emmanuel speaks God with us because we're with God and we have become partakers of that, that divine 
community of God himself. We're partakers, fellow communers, participants in and with the family of God. Demonstrated as we commune and participate with one another. That's why it's so critical that there be no disunity, no disruption, no anger, no malice, no gossiping, no unforgiveness within the body of Christ because there is none in God himself and we are the proclaimers of who he is. See, because we're in Christ, we have all these rewards, not on the basis of our own merit, but on the basis of the merit of Christ. There is a man who has earned by his own meritorious obedience righteousness being given to man. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is righteous in himself. Jesus, the Son of Man, had to be declared righteous through his own obedience. Come on. Jesus had to be declared righteous and was declared righteous only after he obeyed to death, even the death on the cross. Remember in Philippians, wherefore also God has exalted him and has given him a name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus. Every what? Knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, every knee shall bow, things in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth, and every what? Tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. See, the Son of God is righteous in himself. The Son of Man earns the righteousness for us. For us. He did it so we could become righteous in him, to become the children of God. This is what we have. What blessing, what reward. You see, this means that Jesus himself is our great reward, in whom are contained all the rewards of God. All of God's rewards for us as a result of our having the Son. So what verse does that bring to mind? That in Christ we have all the rewards of God. Ephesians 1 what? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has, past tense, past tense, who has blessed us, rewarded us with how much? Every spiritual blessing in him in the heavenlies. Are you lacking anything? No. Therefore, it is critical that we understand that the basis of all the rewards, the goal of all God's many promises, and the way they all work out and to be demonstrated and lived is based in the promise of sonship in Christ. That's critical to remember. Now turn off the machine. I want to say one more thing. No, it's going to be a good thing. 